Attorney General Jeff Sessions has rolled back criminal justice sentencing reforms put in place by the Obama administration, paving the way to bring back the war on drugs. In a sentencing memo to federal prosecutors, he instructed them to charge defendants with the most serious offenses possible, most likely to trigger severe mandatory minimum sentences. It means that we're going to meet our responsibility to enforce the law with judgment and fairness. It is simply the right and moral thing to do. The Sessions sentencing memo is similar to the Ashcroft sentencing memo under President George W. Bush. The Obama administration had put in place policies reducing harsh prison sentences for nonviolent, low-level, and first-time drug offenders, leading to the first decline in the federal prison population in 40 years. Joining us are sentencing experts Ames Grauert, counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice, and Heather McDonald, fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Ames, Session has promised a law and order agenda since he came to office. He says tough new sentencing policies are necessary to combat what he described as a surge of violent crime in cities. Is there any evidence that strict sentencing accomplishes that? Hi, first, thanks so much for having me. Uh, and second, no, I don't think there's any evidence that rolling back to these Ashcroft era policies will uh, help cut into crime at all. Uh, if you look at an analysis um, that if you look at analysis from people like the Brennan Center uh, and that former Attorney General Eric Holder himself has put out, uh, there's no sign that cooperation rates for guilty pleas dropped. There's no sign that uh, the number of prosecutions of relatively high-level drug crimes dropped at all, uh, thanks to these, um, thanks to his charging policies. Uh, I don't think we'll see uh, any safety benefits, but we might see uh, a return to the same over-incarceration trend that we've been dealing with for decades. Heather, let me ask you the same question. Would, is there a justification for this, this change by the Attorney General? Well, for one thing, it's following the law. Uh, the Congress and the Sentencing Commission mandated a certain penalty for possession of drugs with intent to distribute. Uh, and the Holder memo had instructed prosecutors to conceal the actual amount that a defendant trafficker was uh, caught with from the judge so as not to t trigger the mandatory minimum possibility, something that is used by prosecutors in order to plea bargain down a sentence in exchange for uh, cooperation in naming people higher up in a drug, drug trafficking organization. So this change simply restores uh, congressional intent. If if Congress believes that the mandatory minimum penalties are too severe, it should be up to Congress to change those, not not prosecutors concealing the actual drug amounts that traffickers are caught with. Ames, describe what the Holder memo did in your opinion. Sure, and I just want to push back on the, the notion that this is somehow violating the law. Uh, Sessions clearly believes the same thing. He said so in a floor speech in Congress. Uh, couple of years ago, but there's, there's a broader interplay between uh, the sentencing laws that Congress passes and the sentencing outcomes that defendants receive. Uh, and that interplay involves another key actor, and that's prosecutors. Now, I was a prosecutor for four years at the state level. Um, we made broad use of our prosecutorial discretion to make sure that the punishment fit the crime. Uh, there's, there's no law that says prosecutors shouldn't do the exact same thing at the federal level. Well, this, was, this preserves discretion. It allows prosecutors to uh, to not charge for the mandatory minimum if the facts warrant it. But the Holder memo basically 
instructed prosecutors to conceal from the judge. And, and I would say that uh, the whole conceit of nonviolent drug traffickers, I think, is, is fallacious. Uh, this February, an 11-year-old Tequila Holmes in Chicago was shot dead in the head with a bullet to the head by a 19-year-old marijuana dealer. James Comey, uh, as FBI director, gave an extraordinarily powerful speech in October 2015 at the University of Chicago, where he described a drug operation in, in Arkansas that was greeted by cheers and officer, officers of food, offers of food and hugs by the predominantly black residents who realized that they were no longer now going to be living under the threat and pall of violence. Ames, let's go for a moment. We have about 30 mm -hmm. seconds about into the discretion idea, because Jeff Sessions says there's discretion, but the prosecutors have to get recommendations of from uh, outside the guidelines. They have to go to supervisory approval and a documented explanation. It's not just on their own. That's exactly right. And the, it was the same thing under the Holder memo. The, the Holder memo didn't say, prosecutors, you can charge whatever, the, whatever you want, regardless of um, approval. It set forth a narrow, a narrow number of criteria that had to be satisfied before they'd um, reduce a charge. Uh, and the type of violent crime that Ms. McDonald was just talking about wouldn't have qualified for a Holder era departure from the guidelines. Uh, now you're right. Uh, the, any departure from the maximum sentence that Congress authorizes in any case has to be cleared with either Maine Justice or U.S. Attorney. Uh, since we haven't, don't have any U.S. attorneys confirmed by the Senate yet, query uh, how exactly that discretion will be used. We've been talking about Attorney General Jeff Sessions rolling back criminal justice sentencing reforms in a sentencing memo to federal prosecutors instructing them to charge defendants with the most serious offenses possible, most likely to trigger severe mandatory minimum sentences. And our guests are Heather McDonald, she's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and Ames Grauert, he is a counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice. Ames, there was an effort, a bipartisan effort in Congress a few years ago to change the sentencing uh, laws, the bipartisan criminal justice legislation. And there are some civil rights advocates, sentencing advocates, some Republicans in Congress who have been pursuing these sentencing reform measures who have been critical of session sentencing. For example, Republican Senator Mike Lee tweeted, to be tough on crime, we have to be smart on crime. Tell us about the bipartisan criminal justice legislation and what happened with it. I'm happy to. It's it's actually it's one of the most heartening things I've seen in D.C. Uh, in a while. I think uh, you you would you would think, and there was some fear that this bipartisan momentum we had uh, going into the 2016 election would have evaporated during a admittedly controversial continuing political season. But uh, on the other hand, exactly like you said, we've heard a lot of uh, support from Mike Lee. Uh, Rand Paul also spoke to to criticize um, Attorney General Sessions. Um, move. Uh, and, and that's a great sign. I'm hoping that we can get the same momentum going that we had last time. Uh, that was the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act, is the bill you're describing. It was sponsored by Senators Grassley and Durbin and had a broad range of bipartisan support. Uh, one of the very few Republican critics was Jeff Sessions, who just happens to now be the Attorney General.
Heather, isn't Jeff Sessions uh, sort of an outlier on this issue? You know, there there was indeed, as June just said, this bipartisan movement. Um, you know, Mike Lee, after after the Mr. Sessions's announcement, uh, uh, wrote on Twitter, "To be tough on crime, we have to be smart on crime." Uh, isn't he going against the grain of what you know seems to be a consensus of of everybody else thinks? Well, that never did come to a vote, and I'm not sure that, say, the Koch brothers necessarily represent a, or Rand Paul represent a consensus on attitudes towards criminal justice system and policing. Uh, you know, I think the most important voices to listen to are those in inner cities, people living with the threat of drug violence. I've never been to a police community meeting in the inner city where I do not hear People ask the police, you get the dealer, you arrest the dealers, they're back on the corner the next day. Why can't you keep them off the streets? Prison remains a lifetime achievement award for persistence in criminal offending. And people that uh, are living with drug violence understand that it is a extraordinary uh, crimp on their freedoms and on economic activity. We hear about the alleged uh, costs of incarceration, they're about $43 billion when you take into account actual spending on institutions as opposed to probation and training. That's a drop in the bucket compared to what it costs communities to live with, with unimpeded crime and trafficking. Americans spend $7.4 billion on Halloween alone, $43 billion to get the most serious offenders off the streets for a good period of time is frankly a bargain compared to the cost of letting them stay on the streets. So Ames, uh, the uh, former Attorney General uh, Eric Holder called the move unwise and ill-informed, and he said that Sessions' directive puts the country in danger of repeating an old mistake, spending one-third of its budget on incarcerating people rather than preventing, detecting, or investigating crime. What about the numbers for incarceration? Do you agree with what Heather said? Well, I think if you're going to do a formal, full cost-benefit study of the criminal justice system, the $43 billion would be just a drop in the bucket, but it also would be just the very beginning of that analysis. Uh, you can say it costs however much to incarcerate people, but that's not taking into account the amount of diminished productivity, uh, the amount of uh, the problems with wage growth and finding a job that people face after they return from prison. Uh, and, of course, those effects apply to everyone who goes to prison, not just someone who uh, people might say deserves to be there for committing a serious drug crime. It would apply to even uh, someone who commits a very minor federal offense, such as possessing marijuana, which is still a federal crime. Uh, those same people have to go back, uh, reintegrate into their communities, and we should probably count uh, the economic problems they face, the hurdles they'll face in their professional life uh, in the future as part of the full cost-benefit study. I think when you finally finish that, uh, which would be a really hard task to do, tally up all the individual costs and benefits, I think you'd come to the conclusion that our current high level of incarceration is not cost-benefit justified and that we could find better ways to spend that money. Uh, one, one point where I think Ms. McDonald and I agree uh, is that the more police officers you have on the street, uh, the better. There's, that, there's really good evidence for that. Um, just the, It's important to note that those police officers should be engaging actively with their communities, not necessarily going after every single petty offense that they commit.
We are going to be talking about this for quite some time, I believe. I want to thank you both for your insights. That's Ames Groworth. He's a counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice and a former prosecutor. And Heather McDonald, she's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute.